Welcome to CMAJ Podcast. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Today I'm talking about the April 21st issue of the journal. In this issue of the journal, we have two research papers. The first paper estimates the cost of implementing universal coverage of prescription drugs in Canada. Interestingly, Canada is the sole country with universal health care that does not provide universal public coverage for prescription drugs. The authors, Stephen Morgan, Michael Law, Jamie Daw, Lisa Abraham, and Daniel Martin, used published data on prescribing patterns and costs by drug type, along with the source of funding, whether private drug plans, public plans, and out-of-pocket expenses in each province. They estimated the cost of universal coverage based on its anticipated effects on the volume of prescriptions filled, products selected, and prices paid. These parameters were selected on the basis of current policies and practices seen either in a Canadian province or in an international comparator. They developed several case scenarios. They found that universal public coverage would reduce total spending on prescription drugs in Canada by $7.3 billion, with a worst-case scenario of $4.2 billion and a best-case scenario of $9.4 billion. The cost to the private sector would save around $8.2 billion, whereas cost to governments would increase by about $1 billion, mainly from a small number of drug classes such as the biologics and coverage of antibiotics and hormonal contraceptives that historically have been primarily paid privately. The authors conclude by saying that the much bandied about barrier to implementation of universal pharmacare, its costs, appears to be unjustified. In an accompanying editorial, Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, argues that Canada can afford universal health care and that there should be no more excuses. He says that this issue is especially timely, given that this is an election year, and he calls for Canadians to demand that the next government enact national pharmacare. For a podcast with Daniel Martin on this issue, please go to cmaj.ca. The second research paper looks at persistence of specific bactericidal antibodies at five years of age after vaccination against serogroup B meningococcus in infancy and at 40 months. Given that the incidence of infection is higher in the first year of life and in adolescence, vaccination should cover both periods. The authors, Fiona McQuaid and her colleagues, assessed five-year-old children who received the 4CMB vaccine. It's a multi-component serogroup B meningococcal vaccine or a recombinant protein vaccine in a previous randomized trial. They also recruited 50 vaccine-naive five-year-olds and administered two doses. They measured serum bactericidal antibody teeters against four indicator strains of serogroup B meningococcus matched to each vaccine component and against four mismatched strains. Well, what did they find? Well, they found of those who received the 4C men B vaccine at 2, 4, 6, 12, and 40 months, there were 16 in this group, the percentage with protective antibody teeters at six months ranged from 44 to 88% against matched strains and from 13% to 81% against mismatched strains. Loss of protective teeters was also observed for those who received the 4C men B vaccine at 12, 40, and 42 months. There were five in this group. In this group, they found 80 to 100% against matched strains and 60 to 100% against mismatched strains or at 40 and 42 months, there were 29 in this group, where they found 31 to 100% against matched strains and 41 to 81% against mismatched strains. 
Administering the 4CNB vaccine to five-year-old children yielded protected teeters against matched strains in 92 to 100% and against mismatched strains in 59 to 100%. The vaccine was well tolerated, although injection site pain occurred. It's important to note that while the 4CNB vaccine was immunogenic, antibodies did wane over time and may not be protective by the teen years. In the research section, we also highlight two recently published CMAJ open papers. The first looks at chronic health conditions in inmates and found that over one-third reported having a head injury. Back pain, asthma, hepatitis C infection, hypertension and arthritis were also commonly reported. In particular, rates of head injury and hepatitis C infection were higher among inmates of Aboriginal ancestry. The second CMAJ Open paper looks at whether a generic substitution policy affected dispensing patterns for oral bisphosphonates. Using data from the Ontario Drug Benefit Plan, the authors found that although generic substitutions were indeed being made in accordance with the plan, there appeared to be an ongoing preference for brand name versions. Elsewhere in the issue, there's a review on brief interventions for alcohol misuse along with an accompanying commentary. A CMAJ podcast with one of the authors of the commentary is available at cmaj.ca. In it, Cheryl Spitoff addresses what she and co-author Suzanne Turner call a systematic failure to address at-risk drinking and alcohol use disorders in Canada. The practice section has a special focus on heart failure. One article looks at the management of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, while a second article explores chronic heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. The section includes a case report that provides an approach to the diagnosis and management of common childhood tremors and is rounded out by a clinical image article on pitted keratolysis, an infective cause of foot odor. The news section has a special article on radon-related cancers. Keep a watch out for an upcoming editorial on this topic. Other topics covered are regulation of e-cigarettes and the more than 1,800 drinking water advisories in Canada, some of which have been placed in Aboriginal communities for 17 years. The Humanities section provides a look at drawings by a patient who recently received treatment for lymphatic cancer. Her artwork helped her to understand her illness, but also to be understood by her caregivers. And as usual, CMAJ's newest section, Digestive, found at the back of the journal, brings excerpts of the best from CMAJ blogs. To read the articles from the April 21st issue that I've discussed in this podcast and other articles, please go to cmaj.ca. I am Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Thanks for listening.